You're listening to KDNK's public affairs program, For Land's Sake. I'm your host, Bill Kite, and today our guest is, is Chris Christielis. And uh, welcome, Chris. Thank you. I guess I can call you Christy then. Crispy, yeah. Crispy, okay. It's a pleasure to have you here today, and I, I guess I'll, I'll ask how you got the nickname Crispy. <laughs> well, I was, uh, when I just dropped out of college back in 1982, I believe, I was dating a young woman, and her roommate was from Wisconsin, and she worked in the bank. So across my deposit slip, it said Chris P. Ellis. And every time I walked in, she was so excited. And she had she was a wonderful person, but but she had this voice that would just really grate on you if you didn't know her, you know how great she was. And I walk in with a patrol director uh, from Rapo Basin at the time, and he heard her, and she'd always say, Crispy Ellis, Crispy Ellis. And it sounded like she was saying, Crispy Ellis. Uh, okay. And he, we played softball together, we skied together, you know, all this stuff. I always called him a hall monitor because he was a patroller. So I was, you know, I was always a guy jumping over fences, and I dropped out of college to be a ski bum, so I was really trying to take that to the whole next level. And uh, everybody who was a mogul skier, a big mountain skier back in the day had a had a nickname or a moniker of some sort, right. and that kind of stuck. And when he heard it, and he dubbed me with Crispy playing softball, it kind of stuck. So it's been going for 40-some years now. It's pretty and, cool. It's a pretty good story yeah. there. Well, what has led you to where you are in your life right now uh, as far as education, you know, experiences, transformations? Just sort of give us a, a short bio if you could. Okay, great. Well, I grew up in Buena Vista, and if you're from there, it's Buena Vista, I know. Um, but my mom moved up there with one of my stepdads back in 68, I guess. I was just in fifth grade. And um, what I always worked on, wanted to work on renewable energy. And ended up blue-collar kid working in the mine in the summertime so I could go to college, studied engineering at CSU. CSU realized when Jimmy Carter got ousted that renewable energy wasn't as big a deal as he'd done it. And to be honest, he's my only living idol. Right. He's one of the guys okay. that he's always been trustworthy, stand-up, intelligent, creative. And he put solar panels in the White House. So I thought, okay, we're going to change our, our way of thinking about things. When he got ousted, I dropped out to be a ski bum. Okay. So wow. <laughs> then as I, uh, as I went back to school 10 years later, it was going to be a couple of years hiatus, and I went back and studied policy because I went, okay, if we can't – if we don't have the policy to create renewable energy – processes, then we're not going to change it. Socioeconomically, if we don't have a way to do this, it's not going to happen. We have the solution. We have the engineering and the and the physics and the problem-solving solutions. We don't have the socioeconomic will to do it. So I started thinking, well, how do I truly impact things? Then I went back to school, studied policy and, and physics, and uh, then bailed again a little bit you know, after I got my undergrad done, uh, finished my last few few classes at CU my few physics courses, and then uh, did the ski bomb thing again for a couple of years. Went back to grad school for a year in global environmental policy, and I was literally getting an ulcer. I couldn't wow. sleep at night. You know, you're thinking about all the problems that we create just by being us. And it's yep. not like we intently do it. It's Well, some, some people do. But for most of us, we're just trying to figure this, this whole silly world out that we're in. Um, so when I went back, and I, I said, well, I, I can't really – this isn't, isn't my chosen field of what I want to study. So I dropped out and started installing solar for um, innovative energy out of Breckenridge and started doing that bit. And then uh, kept on the renewable energy realm as far as hands-on experiential parts of it. Uh, came here to Carbondale back in 2007, worked for Able Electric, and I'd known his cousin, Mark Drummond, 
uh-huh. and from school, and we'd studied solar solar processes together. And uh, started being an electrician. We were going to do solar and electrical. All that stuff happened, and then 2008 hit, and Abel's company kind of went under a little bit. Um, so I started proposing to CMC that we start a renewable energy program up again. Right. So I started doing solar for them, started teaching trades part of it. Um, we got a grant. I ended up being full-time faculty for CS- CMC for about five years. And we got three of the library systems installed and built. So that's where a lot of this idea has come from for the In Our Hands component of it, which is a hands-on experiential training program. So mm-hmm. even the library here in Carbondale, we did a, a 20 kilowatt or almost a 30 kilowatt solar PV system with students. I didn't so know it was that. kind of cool. impressive. We did the Silt in Newcastle one as well and then worked on building the the 100 kilowatt system out at Rifle Campus. We put about 300 man hours in or person hours in um, with my students out there. So we, it's this hands-on experiential part. And as a, I l- laugh about being the ugly redheaded stepchild from Buena Vista, Colorado, and it went on and traveled around the world, I judge World Cup freestyle skiing. So I've been to 35 countries judging mogul skiing and invert aerials. All so right. I've gotten that part of life that a lot of kids from my background don't get, you know, and especially the kids in the res, you know, right. that we're working up on Pine Ridge. But so how do you get them to see that the world is a bigger place? Good and question. And to do something proactive, right. regardless of the circumstances. Because I had a huge chip on my shoulder when I went, went to college. Yeah. You know, I was a redheaded white kid, but my mom was mestiza. So uh-huh. she was half Native American, half Hispanic or Latina. So nobody would even recognize her as my mother. And so that, but your grandfather was it? Was, was yeah, my, my grandfather grew up in Boone, Colorado, Andrew Abilene Otterby. So he's, he's native. Uh, my grandmother was Hispanic, Rose Pacheco. And I, I she was from New Mexico, I think. Um, yeah. But they both passed when I was still pretty young. So I didn't, I missed out on a lot of that history of it. Sure. And maybe me working on the reservations and trying to do some of that stuff. I've been working with a lot of organizations that, get women of color because my sister and I have this conversation all the time. Yeah. She is a woman of color. She looks like my mother. Uh-huh. So I go, Kim, we grew up in the same house. We had the same number of jackass stepdads, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> the same problems that, that people deal with all the time. She goes, yeah, but you're a man and you're a white kid. Yeah. And I went, you know, you're right. Yeah. And I did, I get, did get to go be a ski bum and I did get to go do some of these things and study engineering. So how do we teach communities how to give back in a way that's actually functional and right. useful, especially to certain communities, marginalized communities that don't have those opportunities? And the last thing uh, people on the res want is somebody coming in to tell them what to do yep. and, and uh, when they never ask for your help to start with. Right. So, yeah, this this has uh, become a really good program that you're doing. and. Uh, that's what interests me in, in the nonprofit In Our Hands. And then on the website, it goes In Our Hands and changes to In My Hands, which is exactly what you're trying to do is create a sustainable program that, that does something for people on, on the res. And so can you give us a little idea what your involvement with that nonprofit is? Because uh, the, the, the byline is Resilient Homes by Those in Need. Right. So the idea... Um Aaron and Jason had come up with the home building thing. When we first start, developed our nonprofit, it was more about renewable energy. It was more about solar, figuring if we could get the money to build the solar projects for nonprofits, other nonprofits, right. then we'd just go get the projects built, just like what we did with the libraries. You know, when I had my sure. students, like, we use it as a training tool. We gar- garnish the monies. We, we harvest the monies. Then we build the project. We have them pay it back out of the money they save out of, out of uh, their, their electrical bill. 
sure. instead of a bad power purchase agreement, which happens so often. You know, it's like a bad lease option. Yep. So to me, I'm going, if they own it in seven or eight years, then they can take that money that they would have spent for their electrical bill and utilize it for science and technology education through renewable energy. Because I did that with summer schools with the little kids, ninth graders, first generation bound, uh, upward bound students. Yeah. And the whole idea kind of came a little bit out of that in my and Aaron, Aaron's conversations. Well, then when we went up to Henry, Jason, um, one of our, our co-founders, had connected with Henry Red Cloud up on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Okay. Well, it turns out they were already connected with SEI over in, you know, it used in to be Peru. over here in Carbondale. Yeah. So they didn't really need more solar stuff. They needed affordable housing. Right. So when Henry tasked Aaron and Jason with, what can we do that we could get the shell of a house up for less than $20,000? So they went to work on that part of it while our nonprofit was still kind of evolving. Like, what are we going to do? You know, we're all kind of working at other full-time jobs trying to make this thing work. We started experimenting with this cellular concrete. In a, in a dome shape. So we have two oh. embedded nested domes. They were out of like a PVC material. And now we're using Kevlar and aluminum wall framing. But it's still an inside dome and an outside dome. And then you right. fill up the cellular on the inside. You know, it fills it up, boom, done in a day. You take the, the forms off and away you go. Yep. The mainstay of this, though, is to train people to do this. So when we went up on the res and we kept working with Henry, building solar and building homes and doing stuff with him, developed our friendship and relationship with Red Cloud Renewable, Right. then it turned into, oh, well, we can start doing this. And then about a year ago, um, the Turner Foundation came through with a bunch of their philanthropic entities, Cargill Foundation, a number of different groups that saw our dome. And we got it done like just in the nick of time. And they saw it and went, well, how do we help? You know, what do we need to do? I said, well, let's build 20 of them up on Pine Ridge. And um, so they gave us some money and we started building this summer. And then the Turners, actually, they've got a, a ranch down in New Mexico near Raton. And they hired us to build affordable housing for their students or for their employees. I'm sorry. Right. So the idea is kind of morphed into this a nonprofit business model with a for-profit component to it that we can then teach some of these natives or anybody from marginalized communities to have a B Corp on steroids is what we call it. So okay. we're not just training people how to run businesses, but we're teaching them how to do sustainable building and with renewables. So we're doing solar and these houses, teaching, training. We're working with UNM, University of New Mexico in Taos, that has a green building program. Okay. CMU Tech over in Grand Junction. My roommate from college, Brigitte, is the CEO of their, their campus over there, the CMU Tech campus, and she's all about hands-on experiential learning and teaching not just warm and fuzzy, you know, we're going to be sustainable and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, we're going to hands-on or we're going to use workforce to do it. So we're trying to implement these two different but similar ideas, and if you can teach people on the res that they're the ones that make the money and it stays in their community, they're the ones that run the business. Then they develop their own socioeconomic structure where we're bringing in more parts and pieces to build these domes. We're hiring more people on a res to build homes that are going to help them be more sustainable. And these things are our value of 35-ish, give or take. We've done some pretty good studies on them. And uh, it's getting to a point where it's a monolithic half dome. And it's tight. And yeah. you actually have to do air exchanges to make it so we have <laughs> the right amount of air in it. Well, people need to go to the website just to see the picture. And there's a you, you've done a couple of videos that they can look at. Yep. And so the uh, the address is uh, 
Inourhands.love. Inourhands.love. That should All be one word, pretty yeah. easy to remember, inourhands.love. Because so, we're on radio, it's hard to describe what that looks like, like <laughs> exactly. almost like a, a, a Star Wars uh, dome, yeah. one of those Star a Wars. Yeah, a yurt. But a round one, yeah. yeah. A round a, one. An igloo, really, is really right. more of what it looks like. And, it, and at first, it's, it's the f- small footprint doesn't look that big. But right. then when you show what you can do inside of that and the loft you can build, it's pretty amazing. But I, It's I, uh, about 440 square feet, all told. Yeah. So And it's 18 feet in diameter on the inside, and the walls are 15 inches thick. So the cellular concrete, because it's aerated, it uses about a fifth the amount of concrete so that you would usually have in that type of volume. So it's, it's bubbles. It's the air bubbles that give us, not only do we get the thermal mass, but we get that insulative factor of the air in the, in the walls. Will it deteriorate over time on the outside? You have to apply a, a, a sealant or something at all? We do or? a sealant, but it's, that stuff will last, from what we can tell so far, we're looking at 35 to 50 years without a problem. Oh, really? But we have our first ones, our first iterations had some cracking issues because we didn't seal it up properly. And now we've got this other material that we just started using that seems to be a lot more uh, robust. You're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Program for Land's Sake. Today our guest is Chris Crispy Ellis, and uh, we're talking about really an, kind of a revolution in um, affordable housing, basically, aren't we? Yeah, that's so. the way we're looking at it. Um, you were headed to Summit Canyon today, but... Uh, but didn't make it. I'm glad you didn't because we're in the studio live, and uh, you travel all over the place. Uh, you mentioned Ted Turner. I know you're going up there this coming weekend, aren't you? Could you tell us a little bit about that experience and what Ted's yeah, doing? Yeah, they've got a. I think it's 660,000 acre reserve. It's a buffalo or a bison uh, ranch, and it's you know it's kind of a dude ranch type of place, but it's it's conservation is their whole concept. And Teddy Turner Jr. has really taken the torch from his dad and running with it. I think they've got around eight to ten ranches in different parts. And they're raising bison and they're doing some, you know, getting people out there that might not traditionally understand the outdoors. I mean, those of us that are from Colorado, you know, we've hunted, fished, hiked, biked, skied, you know, spent time in the outdoors all the time. But unless people really have a true understanding of what it means to be outside and why to protect it, they might not do so. Or they so, might not be advocates yeah, either. Yeah, so. exactly. But once they spend a little time out there going, and that's his idea. I mean, he's a, I think he's a pretty solid human being with what he's trying to accomplish. And a lot of his family are pretty incredible. Um, but they helped us along and they hired us as the for-profit business, Resilient Homes, okay. to build four for their employees. Because they've they've traditionally been living in RVs, and they just don't last the winter very well. Right. So the idea is if these four go okay, they might build another 20 or 30. And the idea being a long, longer sustainable process for their employees and, you know, a way to, to kind of showcase this idea as well. And they're very supportive about the entrepreneurial component of this. So that's what we're working on with UNM and Taos is this they've got an entrepreneurial green building program that's all about creating business opportunities for those that don't understand how that's worked before. So a lot of times you'll have an electrician or a, a plumber or somebody like that that doesn't really know how to run a business. They might be the best plumber or electrician in the world or right. even a solar guy, but they don't know how to really, what do I need to run a business? And then you get up on the res and truly they have not had that kind of experience because every time they think about capitalism, they think, oh, they're going to come in and take our stuff. Right. But if we can show that this is like a B Corp on steroids where 
you know, they're the ones that get to own it. They can make or, you know, share share wealth with their, their community members. And then they can build some shelters and they can build some other things that are beneficial for their community. And then we can take this anywhere. We're looking at working out of Detroit, Michigan, and kind of anywhere that needs affordable housing. I was just thinking about the Valley here. Um, would you run against some kind of uh, aesthetic an anomaly where there's, it's just not, no, this isn't, we don't right. like the way it looks? Or even regulations in communities that are just now trying to adapt to to small, tiny homes. Right. So, what do you see as the future here in the valley? Well, I, th- I think the possibility exists. I think there's some tiny home potential, and since we've actually passed through the CID down in in New Mexico and out in Massachusetts, and then we've got some structural engineers that are going to help us do it in, in South Dakota and in Colorado as well, because these things are structurally sound. They'll pass any inspections. We've passed all of our inspections so far, and we're doing everything to code. I'm a licensed electrician, so I understand the process by which we have to do this. And then I've got friends in the in the community where we're going, okay, what's the best way to start this? So we're working with Habitat for Humanity a little bit, possibly some of the school districts to say, okay, how do we build these in certain places? What you maybe have a rental apartment there, but instead we'll have a, a community of these domes where you can be single house dwellings. And people can live one to two, maybe even three people, you know, here. Now, up on the res, they'd probably put eight, ten people in those wow. things. So, you know, it's just a difference in perspective. And you can make them prettier and you can make them a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. But for right now, we're looking at functionality. Right. How many single people can buy a home here in the Valley unless they're, they've got a half a million dollars or a million dollars in the bank? They can't. Correct. I mean, yeah. I'm a professional, and I can't afford to buy here by myself. Right. But if you had a, a step up, and this is what we talked about with Habitat and with um, Colorado River BOCES, is to go, how do we get that in between? You know, say the the ladder of success is up here. Well, the first five rungs are missing for most people. So if we can provide a house that one person can actually afford the mortgage on, Build equity so they're not paying a lot of interest. They're not paying a huge down payment. But it, maybe it's restricted. You know, we'll have to figure out a way to do it. But we're building them for teachers. And I've got connections in Steamboat and down in New Mexico and, you know, all over the place. Like you say, any place where there's a ski town, you <laughs> right. need people to be able to work and, and live. And if they don't, if they can't afford it, they're going to leave. Yep. So how do you solve those problems as well? And then if we're losing our, our skilled labor force over the future, how do we do that at the same time? How many kids are not going to go to college? How many kids are just going to they're going to go do some kind of work? Well, if you can get them in a in a one-year program or a certificate program like what we did for CMC is they came out with a a NABSEP certification that could go get them an entry-level job. Wow. So, how do you do that with any building construction with owning a business with thinking about sustainability and doing it in a way that's actually functional? So, yeah, it can be applied just about anywhere. Then. I think. I mean, I don't see why not. Except, like you said, NIMBY, there's a lot of that. And I can understand people's real estate values stuff, but we can figure something out. All right. All right. I'm sure you've had quite a few exciting experiences uh, and stories on, on your many trips to do what you've been doing, especially on the res. So what? tell us a, a good story about something that happened to you. That uh, Oh, this is a great one. Okay, good. Okay, so we're building a... Uh, a 20-kilowatt solar system over at Keeley Radio Station on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And uh, we've been working on it for a couple of weeks. A lot of great people, trees, water, people, Pine Ridge, you know, um, SEI, us in our hands, 
Red Cloud Renewable, a lot of people are there. And our friend Leo Bear, who's on our website, when you look at him, he's, he actually made the cover of the Aspen Daily um, the news Daily, Daily Times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Megan, Megan uh, Tackett had written an article, and he was the front page. So we, we, she used that as him. And Leo Bear is like, our, he's our man. He's a, he's a good egg. And he, uh, he was going to flip the switch on this system. And one of the, the electrician guys could come up, you know, get gets his board and be close to him in, in case, you know, in case he gets electrocuted. And you have to knock him off. So I grabbed this two by four and I go, Bear, it's going to hurt you more. It's going to hurt me. But I love you, man. <laughs> if you get electrified, you'd, I'd rather hit you with a two by four than, uh, than have you die, right? He goes, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so Leo's been, he's been working with us for the last three or four years. And we're going to help him get set up in a business. And uh, and like I said, this is the kind of thing that you get some people that want to do some good for their community, for their reservation, right. for their people. And then you start turning that into skill labor focus. And I've talked to a couple ranches. And then you get people that can grow their own food. Then we can clean our own water. Then you can be self-sustaining on every level. And I traveled to Mozambique a couple of years ago with the same idea in mind. And our, my friend with the Seeds organization um, – are doing the five same things. They're health and wellness for women and children. Starts with clean food, clean water, clean everything. Infrastructure and renewables. Still socioeconomically re responsible and you can make money and it makes sense. Agriculture. You grow the right kinds of food. Clean water. And then the, the fifth component that they were trying to work on was cultural heritage retention, which is something I brought to the res from Africa, from my friends over there, and going, you know, that's one of the things that Everybody should remember their history. Right. Cultural history retention. Yeah. Okay, good. And it's like it's one of the things that I didn't get to know my grandfather while I was an adult, so I couldn't ask him some of these things. I remember him taking me to a, a gathering or a powwow probably when I was little, when I was five. Yeah. And all the Native American kids are rubbing my head because it's red. You know, it was pretty right. bright. I was Opie, <laughs> a little Opie kid, yeah. right? And they would come up and rub me on the head to go, wow, it's like fire. And it was just one of those things that you remember those things from being a little kid. But I didn't get to engage with him on, on the stories that, that he might have been able to share with me. Right. And uh, so maybe I'm trying to rediscover my romance of, of the indigenous populations in different parts of the world. So, well, well, that is a problem, though, with cultures, especially Indian cultures in the Southwest, of appropriating their own their, their art and their everything else and calling it their own. And this way you're emphasizing what their own is exactly so that they can preserve it and carry it on into the future because all the i go on the res i see the kids just like kids here they're so into that electronic device that sure. that they forget about their their heritage so that's that is really good uh, mozambique huh yeah it was pretty incredible it's the first time i had been to africa so we're trying to do the same thing in south america and then i've got some connections down in australia so i travel down to australia about every two three years to go judge some events and that's what I see with the, with the freestyle world. You see how these kids, they have great um, mentors and they have incredible, their parents' support. You know, they've got consistent this. So what is it that these kids have that these kids don't? 
So what I'm trying to do is to give them a sense of adventure that they can go find those things. You know, they can find mentors. And I'm, I'm working with a lot of women in engineering and, you know, in sciences and trying to go, okay, let's have women teach these young women that they can be. They need an example. They exactly. don't need some redheaded right. ginger up there telling them, hey, you can be a scientist. <laughs> right. You know, show them how to jump off a cornice. Yeah. They need women that they can relate to that can help them along their path of enlightenment or science or whatever they choose and recognize that they can be strong. And the same thing with young men. It's like they can realize they can be empathetic and sensitive and concerned and compassionate. So how do we teach strength through not through arrogance and not through, oh, because I have all this, I'm better than you. Because I have the answers. Yeah. yeah. It's search within a little bit and go figure it out and do something valuable for the world. I like that. That's good. Thanks. In the time we have left, um, I'd like to leave the listeners with – what if they're interested in pursuing any of this what can they do oh boy we uh we've been scrambling we've been on um shoestring budget for a long time so if you've can donate or if you can donate time or you want to come down and check it out uh get a hold of us you can reach me at crispy c-r-i-s-p-y at innerhands.love or um uh check out our website donate uh help Contact Jason. Jason's our contact info on the thing, and you could either contact him if you don't remember my name, um, but get a hold of Jason at, at innerhands.love, and he'll contact me. We are on Facebook. Uh, do whatever you can to help spread the word and, and go forward from there, I guess. How could they not forget Crispy? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say all the time. <laughs> no, it's it's fun, and it's that's why I've stuck with it. So, And so one more time, give that address to people. So, uh, so CRI. SPY at inourhands.love. We have a checking account here at Alpine Bank. We're working with Habitat. We're working with River Boses. Um, I've spoken with a number of the school districts. CMC again. We're looking at maybe working with some of their sustainable program. So please reach out and contact me, or you can reach me at 970-406-1252. I live right here in, in Carbondale and happy to talk with anybody all the time. I go skiing with you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I still work for Skiko a little bit, and I got passes all over the world, so it works out great. I noticed the company's headquarters in, uh, in uh, wait a minute, where's Massachusetts. Massachusetts, right. Well, Aaron and Jason were going to school at Amherst College together, and they were tasked with putting together a nonprofit concept. I spoke with Aaron the year before we incorporated and talked to him about what I was trying to do with the solar thing. Well, he rolled that into the idea then. And like I said, we kind of shifted our reality once we had the, the domes and what tasked by by, uh, by Henry. But that's what we incorporated first, and this is back in 2017. So they were finished their last year of school. Um, and then they just decided that was the easiest place to do it. So we'll probably have a branch out here some at some point. All right. Well, listen, this has been a lot of fun. I wish we had more time to talk some more because this is Thanks, exciting Bill. to me. You've been listening to Katie and Kay's For Land's Sake, and join us again at 4 o'clock on Monday, February the 12th. And until then, whatever you do to Mother Nature, do it for land's sake. 